You know, I, I had a call with an entrepreneur last week or the week before who was like, you know, I spoke to you two years ago and here's the advice you gave me and, and we've done it. And, and now we're looking for capital. And, and we love those conversations. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, the podcast for brands in the health and wellness space who want to be irresistible, not only to consumers, but to investors and retailers. Here we talk to successful entrepreneurs about the inspiring stories that help them start and grow their awesome brands. And we also talk to investors, leaders in private equity, and retail buyers about what makes brands irresistible to them. Welcome to another episode of The Irresistible Factor. Today is a really exciting day for us because I'm talking with Allison Minter, a partner in Northcastle Partners, a private equity firm that specializes in brands in the health and wellness space. And Brandon Fishman, the founder and CEO of the brand Vitacup, a brand of gourmet coffees and teas infused with vitamins and superfoods. So I want to give a big welcome to you both and a thank you for doing this together. I think it's going to be really fun. Cool. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So do you guys want to just talk a little bit? I don't know which of you want to go first about your relationship with each other so that our listeners can understand why we're having you both on together. I'd be happy to. My name is Brandon Fishman. I'm the CEO and founder of Vitacup. Started in 2017, and we grew it fairly quickly online. And in, in the early days, when I was raising our first round of capital, I'd reached out to Allison at Northcastle because I was very impressed with their private equity firm and what they had done with other companies. Uh, we had a bunch of chats. Uh, we were a little too small for them at the time, but we raised a round of capital uh, somewhere else, and we kept in touch because I had a strong desire to work with them. And then oh. about a year about a year later, we ended up meeting up, and they did our large round of funding. Awesome. So that's interesting. How small is too small? For Northcastle, size for us, we think about it both in terms of company size and in terms of check size. Our strategy is really built upon investing in the healthy, active, and sustainable living space, which we've been doing for close to 25 years now, and partnering with awesome founders like Brandon, who have products and services that we believe fit our space and are, you know, innovative growth brands and doing something special. And as we think about our funds, we think about both size and stage of company. And, and from for that, I'd say, you know, at or close to 10 million-ish is, is sort of how we think about um enough data and history to drive uh, the foundation of a business that we think is, is, you know, is sustainable. And then we think about it in terms of check size, because if we, we tend to be deeply engaged in, in the businesses in which we partner and try to do everything we can to bring our, you know, cumulative resources and experience to bear to help. And we can't do that across 50 companies, right? So we're investing out of a $420 million fund right now, um, as an example, and we want to have somewhere between 10 and 12 businesses in that fund so we can be good partners. And you know, COVID has changed that profile for us a little bit, just in terms of the market dynamics. But I'd say net-net um, size for us, we think about both check size and, and company size. I want to go back to something you said, Brandon, in a second. But when you say, Allison, COVID has changed that for you to some degree, what do you mean? There are, you know, businesses that I'd say had some really positive tailwinds from COVID. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's pick some of the obvious 
segments in our portfolio, which is digital fitness, for example, or uh, nutritional supplements as, as another example, where these categories experienced outsized growth. And then there are some businesses that face some headwinds. So um, a number of businesses in our portfolio, for example, are four wall in nature. So let's think about boutique fitness yeah. or experiential four wall retail. And, and so we had, um, uh, plans to sell a couple of businesses, particularly in the fitness space this year that were dramatically impacted by COVID. And so I just think COVID as, as, uh, many funds think about portfolio construction, COVID, you know, probably accelerated sales in some cases, but for us, we are hit pause on a couple of things. Um, great businesses, brands that um, that we just wouldn't want to think about selling in the in the COVID environment because of mm-hmm. the impact that the pandemic has had on on their business models. So that extends the whole period for some businesses yes. for us that have just been, you know, we've got some businesses whose operations for the most part have been shut down for a year now, and that's not a great time to be thinking about um, selling a business. That's true. That is true. Brandon, when you say you had, you approached North Castle at the beginning when you were starting to raise capital, what made you feel like they were the right fit? And is that a typical way that that relationship happens? Like you decide you want to work with someone and you pursue them or is there, I know there are other ways that it happens with, with investment. I, don't, bankers yeah, and I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say that I necessarily do everything the typical way, but, uh, I, uh, I don't, Allie can answer how she usually finds people, but, um, I was just very impressed with the companies that they had invested in and sold, specifically ones that Allison was involved in. Hmm. And once I you know, learned that and saw what, what they were able to do for companies, I, I knew that they could really help me out a lot. So I was determined to uh, to work with them, even though we had a bunch of other offers. I, I was determined to work with North Castle on this one. And, and I can add to that what Brandon did, which I think was particularly powerful for us. And I think, you know, for for growth businesses, this happens, but Brandon did a great job of it is, you know, you get to know someone, you hear about their business and for whatever reason, it's not the right time on one side or another, but Brandon definitely kept in touch and continued to build that relationship over a period of time. And so for us, we tend to invest in businesses where we've met the founder or entrepreneur long before that first phone call. That's yeah. not always the case. There are definitely more opportunistic types of investments that we make where it's a it's a process. Uh, you know, an investment banker, for example, is hired and we meet people that way. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we get to know a business who happens to be raising capital and there's a, a, a tighter timeline. But uh, but often we get to know people well before we invest. Um, and for whatever reason, it might not be the right time for us or for them at an earlier stage, but we love to, you know, to build that network, to get to know people over time. So by the time we're actually making the investment, it's not like, you know, we're looking at each other and saying, okay, now what, right? We've, yeah. we've, we've known each other for a long period of time. We've gotten to know each other's businesses and, uh, and we tend to, you know, by the time we actually make the, the investment are often running on how we can be helpful versus staring at each other saying, okay, now what? So how do you do the, the initial, relationship building is that just regular outreach like you just are tapped into the industry you know where the you know where stuff's happening and you start to pay attention to brands that are doing well or that are in your space or what is that like i'd say it's all the above um it ranges from you know 25 years of investing in the categories that we've invested in Mm -hmm. in the healthy active and sustainable living space and just again the the experience we've had over that period of time and the network we built over that time and that is 
really cumulative in nature, right? So it's that, and, and, and I'd say that the network side is particularly important to us. And, you know, we develop really close relationships with the companies in which we invest and and people like Brandon, you know, Brandon does a phenomenal job of, of calling us all the time saying, hey, I've got a friend who's looking to raise capital or you should meet this guy. This is a great oh. business. They're small for you now. But, you know, when we use the word cumulative, it's it's 20 plus years of those relationships and those conversations and those experiences. And over time, we really rely on on the community of people that we've been working with to to build that pipeline for us of, of new opportunities. And when you say you're involved heavily in the businesses versus stepping back, which I know there are some companies that definitely aren't that involved, how do you mean? Probably good if I answered that. So, okay. for example, they assign several team members to us. And in my case, there's one guy on our team who's a full-time North Castle employee, but I actually see him as almost a full-time Vitacup employee because mm-hmm. he helps with all of our financials, everything with with bank, with funding rounds, with data analysis, um, they, they hire really smart people and they almost become the just extensions of our team. And that's not something you see every day. Usually yeah. from what, from what I'm used to from others talking to other CEOs, it's more of just a reporting structure with their PE firms and not like uh, hand in hand helping you get towards the goal. So I think that that's the difference. And Brandon, can you talk about, I mean, I'm curious to know about some of the challenges that you had as you were building the business and then how you've sort of overcome them with the help of North Castle or even how you've overcome them on your own? Sure. My background is all in online marketing. Um, I had a digital marketing agency for 10 years that I sold. And before I started this company, I didn't really have any experience in retail. And before I came to North Castle, we were just an online company. So they've really helped us not only improve the overall brand image because we were more of a just a direct response brand and now we're trying to grow into a larger brand and also kind of expand out into retail, look at our financials in a different way, help us get profitable quicker, just a lot of things that uh, a lot of value that they brought to the table. And what do you feel like some of your biggest successes have been since you started the brand? I mean, it's not really an old brand, it's relatively new and you've already gone through two rounds of funding, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think that we were we were very innovative, right? We're the first to do what, we, what we've done. And we've been very successful by continuing to stay innovative. Um, all of our new products have been successful, including one recently called Keto Max that has just been an incredible launch and just has taken over a lot of our sales. In the majority of the products that we've made, we're the very first person to do it. And I think that mm-hmm. being first in, in the consumer space is hard these days and, and yes. tough. And uh, very. there's you know some thinking out there that you want to just have a couple products and go big with them. But my mentality has been people always want the latest and greatest, and we're going to continue to innovate and come out with new things. And I would add just in terms of the success, um, Brandon and his team, but but Brandon really specifically um, has a very unique digital capability. And right, digital is a big word now, right? But there's direct, there's Amazon, there's other now you know, traditional retail worlds that are being driven by direct purchases, even though you're Mm -hmm. picking it up in store. And Brandon really has built a team and a capability from a digital standpoint that we think is really unique and special in this space. And so I think that's another big part of what has, has driven the success is their ability to be nimble in this changing environment around, you know, digital and what that means. And they've really managed that incredibly well. And, uh, and I think there's, you know, there's a lot that we're going to see over the course of the next couple of years in, in terms of growth 
that will be built upon that that foundation and that capability that these guys have spent a few years refining. I was going to say to add on that, um, just my take on digital and where it's going is everything's going to Amazon. Like I talk to a, a large group of CEOs all the time. Just in the last few months, we've seen so many brands where their Amazon sales have surpassed their own website sales. Yeah. And that's just getting, it's heading more and more in that direction. It's just how people like to shop these days. They want the immediate delivery and the one-click ordering. And I think it's only going to trend further in that direction. So we put a lot of emphasis on Amazon and we're the fastest growing coffee brand in the country on Amazon. Um, and we've been very successful there. So that's interesting because I, I've heard a lot of brands and a lot of brands that I've spoken to this year who have, you know, obviously had to go to digital because of COVID um, talk about building their, their direct to consumer brands on their own site. And that sounds like that's not your philosophy actually. We still do that. But when you look at in general, repeat purchase rate, acquisition costs, a lot of the KPIs that we look at, Amazon is a better investment in the long run because especially with groceries, people are, especially during COVID, they built their grocery habits on Amazon or Instacart. Yeah. If you can get with, if you can get in their habit or in their subscribe and save, yeah. you pretty much stay there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that you're, I mean, I'm assuming the answer is yes, but I'd love to hear you talk about it. Your background is in digital marketing actually. And I would assume that has really influenced and helped you do what you're doing more quickly than people who are brand founders who have no experience with digital. Right. Yeah. I've been doing this since the early days of you know, 1999 when paid search was a penny a click. And um, <laughs> I think that in my agency, I had over 500 clients, including a lot of Fortune 500s. And wow. we um, we just have a lot of experience working on a lot of different brands. So I knew how to market to consumers, what they were looking for. I knew I wanted a product that people had to have every day, kind of an addictive product like coffee that people had to reorder because one-time purchase products are very difficult unless it's a very expensive product, like a large piece of fitness equipment that yeah. Alice is successful with. But uh, basically the rule of thumb is if if you're selling something online, if it's a one-time purchase, it better be over $100 or you have no chance of ever making money. Yeah. If it's a, a product like mine, you have to rely on repeat purchases. You, you need to have a product that people... So I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs. They come out with some sort of gadget that's $40 and I say, don't even come out with it. Like there's, there's no, you'll never make a dollar. That's really interesting advice. And I think people are going to love to hear that because it's, it's true and it's hard. I mean, that's not how people necessarily think like people invent things because they love them and try to market them because they think that other people will love them, but maybe that's not the only criteria. I don't think these entrepreneurs understand like the selling fees of pick pack distribution, Amazon selling fees. Um, it's just, there's a certain cost contribution cost per order that you have to take into account that most people don't even know to think or, Yep. Where North where Northcastle has been successful, like take a brand like Mac Weldon that they're in, that they're invested in, uh, where their average cart is, you know, well over a hundred dollars, if not two hundred dollars, depending on the month. That's a brand that can be successful because they can spend a certain amount to acquire a customer. Whereas if you're a clothing brand and you're selling cheap bathing suits for thirty bucks, you're never going to make a dollar. So Allison, did that play into the sort of one of the? factors for you guys when you were thinking about this company, the knowledge that they had of digital space and how to market and the philosophy on Amazon and stuff? Definitely. I mean, we saw a very 
unique and attractive foundation in Brandon and the team he's built in terms of their capabilities, in terms of the product, right? The product for, for us, it's often about great product, right? Yeah. So I was just having this conversation with with someone else right before we hopped on this around ultimately that's what we fall back on is innovative product that, you know, we believe exists and is solving a you know, a problem. A lot of people use those words, but is doing something that is, you know, is, is unique and differentiated. And then third is, is really just the market dynamics behind supplements, behind coffee, behind, you know, functional beverages and the success that Brandon and the team had early in digital and the runway that we saw in, in retail. So, you know, that, that omni-channel businesses, this is a great, Example of an omni-channel business, they've got their their own website, they're selling via Amazon, they're selling via in-store retail and, and online retail, you know, are, are tricky and complicated and, and nuanced. And there's a lot yeah. of factors that intersect between them. But I feel like, you know, we have a, a rock solid team. We've got another great investor partner in the first beverage guys who've been, you know, along this journey with us. And I think we have the right team, foundation, strategy, products. But, but to Brandon's point, it, you know, can't say it's easy, right? And and I think there's been uh, it's it's been a fun process as well. I think Brandon and I have had a lot of fun together as we've navigated this. But but definitely that direct capability was was something that we talked a lot about as we you know decided to to, to back Brandon and his team. What kind of data and how much of a role does data play in your decisions to invest in a brand? A big role. And for us, it is twofold, right? You know, we, we get asked all the time, like how do you guys value businesses and, and, and what's our multiple and, you know, why aren't we getting that multiple if this company got that multiple? Uh-huh. And we, I, I believe that multiples are surrogates, right? Surrogates in a, in a very helpful way. But ultimately when we think about making an investment, we think about what the future potential return looks like. And that involves a lot of analytics. What does the business look like today? What is our confidence level on where it can go? What is the cash it needs to get there or the cash it's going to generate along the way? And then ultimately, what do we think we can sell it for? And so to develop that view, there's a lot of analytics that goes into each of it, that goes into the revenue foundation of the business, the income statement, the forecast, the plan, the you know, M&A market in terms of the outlook and what we think we can sell it for. And then we sort of reverse engineer all that back into, okay, what sort of return are we targeting in this situation and outspits evaluation. And yes, multiples or surrogates will look around at relevant comps and say, okay, this feels right in, in terms of where the market is. But those numbers are can be all over the place, as you probably know. Yeah. And Brandon, how did you know all of the things you had to prove going into this? Like, did you have all the kinds of data that you needed, or did you have to go find ways to get that data? We had a lot of data. I think that's one of our advantages is yeah, with my online good. marketing background and, and the team that we've put together, we um, probably had more data than most companies that North Castle speaks to. Yeah. I think a lot of people start to think about data when they start to think about getting funded and then it's you're going backward and trying to find data that you had or prove things that you didn't really think about along the way. So that's really interesting. And I think really good advice because if you are starting a brand and you start to think about that at the beginning, you could build a, a case over time that's a lot stronger, which I think is awesome. Yeah. I'm going to ask both of you this. Well, first I'll ask you this, Brandon. What what do you feel like the future for Vitacups is? Like, where do you see the brand in a couple of years? What would you love to see happen? 
I think you know that there's really no ceiling for us. I mean, we're we're a high growth brand. We're a better for you beverage, you know, coffee and tea. There's it was a big need in the market for it. Pretty much what what we like to say is no one forgets their coffee, but everyone forgets their vitamins. Yeah, you know? that's right. And that's awesome. So it's just it was very simple to to put it together. And we started on our website, then Amazon. Now we're in Target nationally, rolling into Walmart nationally. Sprouts, we're one, we're one of the top selling coffees in there. And Whole Foods, we moved into. So we're expanding the brand in retail. We just launched in Canada last week, look, looking to launch into other countries. So I just really think there's endless growth possibilities for the brand and potentially other wellness products under the brand label. It's a great brand name and building a lot yeah. of brand equity. So I think that we'll... Uh, continue to grow it and someday exit it. And then we'll do another one with Allie. <laughs> That's awesome. And um, Allison, how long do you normally stay with a brand? Is there a normal amount of time? Or- so yeah, I'd, I'd say the average tends to be four to five years, mm-hmm. but we have had whole periods as long as 10 and as short as 18 months. Oh, wow. But I'd say if you, if you take the average over time for the, vast majority of what we've done. It's four to five years. And, you know, the, the interesting thing will be to see what this pandemic does to that timeline for us. I think yeah. certainly things that have had some headwinds, this just means that it'll extend our hold period, take us an extra year or two to get to where we wanted to get to. Yeah. But uh, but certainly for some of our other brands that have some tailwinds, we'll, we'll get there a little bit faster. So, but I'd say four to five years is, is, is typically the average. Do you um, see things changing yet? As far as the pandemic goes, have you started to see things shift back or not yet so much? You know, interestingly, I was having a conversation with another one of our CEOs last night who had some nice tailwinds. It's a it's a food business where mm-hmm. some early pantry loading was uh, was obviously a factor. I think we, you know, what, what's most interesting for me as it relates to to the pandemic for a lot of businesses is going to be what happens in March, April, May, when the pandemic first hit, I think there'll be some categories and some businesses whose revenue went to zero and they're going to have a nice time comping off of those periods of time. There'll be some other businesses who, you know, who experience explosive growth. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the question that we've been asking ourselves, and I think we have conviction in certain categories is there are some categories where household penetration I believe has has increased, right? There's more awareness in terms yep. of certain health and wellness categories. And so you've reached new consumers, household penetration has gone up, you've acquired consumers during that time. And for companies with great products, they should maintain those relationships with those consumers. And then there'll be certain categories. The one I always use as an example is like the bake mix category, right? Where like you're probably not going to see the same level of growth yep. that you saw at this time last year, but we're really just entering, right? It's, it's March. It's, it's mid-March. We're really just entering that phase where I forget the exact date, but what was the date when, you know, we all sort of woke up and said, yikes, this is, this is for real. And I mean, it was like a week ago today, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. A a week ago, a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I think looking at the trends in terms of the sell-through data specifically, where of course it's going to be impossible for many categories to comp what happened over the next few weeks. But I think you know over the next few months we'll see if if some of these categories go back to their historical growth rates off a higher base, or if they're going to you know yeah. contract. Yep, it'll definitely be interesting to see. I wonder if you guys could each just 
give a little bit of advice to people who are starting a brand or looking for funding, what would you tell them? Like, what's the one thing, Brandon, that you would say was the best piece of advice you got or the best piece of advice you could give? I mean, number one, if you're, if you're doing a product, it has to be a, a very high quality product because reviews are extremely important. Mm -hmm. You know, referrals, repeat rate is probably the most important thing. Like if you have a really good product, you can always put a good team around it, but you need that first. And then you need the financial metrics to work. You have to understand, like I was saying before, you can't sell a $40 one-time product online. Start with a good product and then put, put the right people behind it. Yeah, I, I would echo what Brandon said, but from the investor standpoint, for particularly earlier stages companies, people getting started, which I think you asked about specifically, I, I'd say get to know investors well before you need capital, right? Try to get as far as you can with seed or friends or family or other sources, because the more proof of concept you have, the, the greater the universe of people you will have to be able to talk to. And, you know, I think people in, in our world love meeting businesses and brands earlier in their stages to get to know them. You know, and, and in many cases, you know, I, I had a call with an entrepreneur last week or the week before who was like, you know, I spoke to you two years ago and here's the advice you gave me and, and we've done it. And, and now we're looking for capital. And, and we love those conversations, yeah. whether or not it, it's right for us now, don't know yet, but but that's what we do. We build relationships. We try to be helpful, but you know, the, having more touch points before you know you're out of money and need capital just makes the process, I think, better on on, on both sides. Yeah. So you're not in a panic mode like you need it right now. How do people reach you when they're at the early stage when they're not really ready for you? How do they? How do you meet them? How can they meet you? We tend to meet people at you know trade shows, mm -hmm. conferences, you know, LinkedIn, I, you know, the, the number of folks who, who just reach out in LinkedIn and say, yeah. Hey, this is, you know, that, that uh, can get a little bit overwhelming, um, <laughs> you know, e email. I think all of our emails are on our website. So yeah. people can always, you know, go on, go on, look at the bios. If it's, you know, a fitness business, they tend to, you know, they should be sending it to my partner, John, but they look at the types of investments we're involved in and, and, uh, and, and reach out. But I, but I'd say, you know, definitely, Getting to know investors earlier just allows entrepreneurs to build more relationships and allow them to have, you know, more substantive discussions when when they're ready to go. Yeah, that's great advice. I hadn't heard that one yet. So that's really good. I think that's really helpful for people because, you know, I mean, we all build relationships. And then when you need something, it's much easier to tap into those. And especially when you're when you're getting advice and taking it. I mean, I think that's really important. So Cool. Do you guys have anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? This has been incredibly helpful. I, I'm so thrilled that we wound up doing this together because I think it's a really good perspective. Um, I don't think so. Just uh, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This, this was fun. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, this was great. I really appreciate it. And I'll, um, I'll share this back with you guys when it's done. Awesome. Great. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Talk All to right, you soon. Christy. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay.